Hey guys, this is Paul and Michael from 60 Day Startup. Today we're going to be talking about something that affects pretty much every entrepreneur I know, and that is failure to launch syndrome. Yeah, it's a big one. We're going to be talking about why we do it and why those sort of internal machinations make us just not launch that business. We're going to talk about some red flags and what to look for if you might be having failure to launch syndrome. And lastly, we're going to touch on how to stop it, right? How to get to that next step and make sure you can have the best successful launch possible. Yep, let's get into it. Hey guys, this is Paul with 60 Day Startup for the very first inaugural episode of the 60 Day Startup podcast. And Michael, something I wanted to talk about was something that kind of took us by surprise a little bit last year, but I think it's something that every entrepreneur struggles with. Yeah, absolutely. I I think this is something that, Paul, you and I have both struggled with in our entrepreneurial journeys at different times. And we've now noticed it's probably the one of the biggest stumbling blocks for entrepreneurs along their way, since we've kind of run through different things this last year to help other entrepreneurs get up on the rails. So let's launch into it and see what we're talking about. Totally. So what I want to talk about is this idea of what we'll call failure to launch syndrome. Now, let's get into kind of the background of this and what our firsthand experience with this was over the course of the last year. Totally. So if you guys aren't familiar with 60 Day Startup, the concept here that we started almost two years ago now was that we wanted to show people that it doesn't take some genius intelligence or an MBA to be able to launch a business, right? We wanted to show that you can come up with an idea and if you can really hit the ground running and race for it, you can bring that business to you know revenue basically within 60 days. And to do that, Paul and I basically put together a web show called 60 Day Startup, where we came up with an idea and ran it for 60 days to turn it into this product. Absolutely. And in doing the show, we had several people reach out to us and say, hey, this is really cool that you guys did this, but how do I do this? So that kind of inspired us to put together some materials to help other people through the process. So last year, around this time, actually, we put together our first 60-day startup challenge where we brought around 20 or so local Nashville founders of companies together to run through the process all as a group, working together, coaching, encouraging each other, and trying to launch 20 businesses in 60 days. Yeah. So over the course of nine weeks, we basically helped them build their brand, develop products or services, build out and design how they're going to source the products. Um, There were some really fantastic, brilliant ideas, some brilliant people in that cohort. I think we were, you know, super pleased and excited about all of the energy and ideology and and just like stick to itness that that we had there at the beginning with everyone, right? Absolutely. And every last one of those founders came up with something that I thought was a valuable addition to the market. We had people that were doing life coaching. We had people that were working on consultancy. I remember we had one guy that was running a sort of a programming, teaching kids to program course. And we had people on the other side, the product side, creating things like hand balms. And we had someone who was working on a sort of athletic devices. And it was just really cool stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And there is 
One other thing, though, that was common amongst pretty much every business that ran through that cohort with us, and that's failure to launch. Exactly. So what was so surprising that I just want to underline here is over the course of these nine weeks, all of these businesses had developed products that were pretty much ready to go to the market. They all had workable websites. We helped them with that. They had all the strategy. They had the copy. They knew their pitch. And basically, the incredible thing that happened, or I guess I should say the incredible thing that didn't happen, is that not a single one of them actually launched and basically put up a button that allowed their customers to pay them money. By the end of it, we were begging them to. I remember like literally just put a button up that lets me pay you money. Right? Right. Um, right. And it was just so surprising to me yeah. that still, even so, we couldn't convince anyone to just take that final step. They had already done all the work. Right. And now fast forward to today, some of those folks have taken that step, have launched the business, you know, and it's great to see that happen. But I think what we want to focus in on today is the reasoning why when you're under the gun, when that hurdle is right in front of you, why the majority of people make the decision that Oh, but there's one other thing I need to do or, or squirrel or, you know, to fly off the edge and, and actually don't take that moment right in front of you to launch. That's right. So today we're going to be talking about failure to launch syndrome and we're going to be breaking that down into three parts. First of all, we're going to look at why we do this. And this is something that pretty much everyone struggles with. So you're going to struggle with it too. We are going to look at what to look for. What are the signs that you can look for in yourself to say, hey, I might be putting up obstacles in front of myself. I might be starting to dip into this failure to launch syndrome. Yeah, yeah. Things to identify that just really are those milestones to go, oh, okay. And then finally, we're going to look at strategies and tactics for how to stop and get out of your own way and finally launch that business. Yeah. So let's get into it. Cool. So why do people do a failure to launch moment, right? I I think we probably even have examples of these kind of things in our own careers and in different businesses that we've started up or run. Honestly, uh, we probably have this to deal with the podcast. (laughs) You know, we've been talking about doing this podcast for months and we're now finally doing the episode. So we can probably pull into some reasonings here for ourselves. But Probably the biggest reason I think that people have some failure to launch is fear. Right. Right. And you could kind of dip that into multiple different types of fear. There could be like fear of failure, which is a big obvious one. Oh, yeah. And the flip side of that coin being fear of success. Yeah. Right. So, you know, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid that if I put this out there and I don't do well, people will laugh at me or I'll be embarrassed or, or my dreams will be crushed. But the other side of that being your dream can still be your dream and it can still have this perfect scenario in your head as long as you don't put it out there in the world as reality. Right. Because as soon as you do, someone else can speak into it or someone else can actually dictate what the reality of that is and it's no longer the perfect way you had it in your head. That's exactly right. And the thing that's funny about fear is that it is almost always overblown in your head 
the fantasy of fear versus the reality of fear. And we're going to talk about a way to deal with that later. But fear is something that as an entrepreneur, you're going to have to face on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. I think one of the most defining characteristics of the entrepreneurial lifestyle is the fact that daily you will be in situations that you did not intend or that are uncomfortable and you're going to have to answer questions that you didn't think about answering before. So if you can't get over that initial fear of the unknown, then you're going to have a bad time. And I think you're right that it is that sort of untouched, completely spotless, perfect idea that exists in my head that I know once I put it out into the world, chances are it's going to be beaten up and bloodied by customer reviews and website bugs yeah. and delayed shipping and all the stuff that happens to real businesses. Yeah. Yeah. And I think especially if you haven't put a business out there before, right? If you were working a W-2 job and this is sort of your new passion that you're going to put out there, it's a new feeling to have that fear and get used to that fear that's pretty much constantly there, mm -hmm. you know, to, to just get used to the fact that like, yeah, these things are going to be what our number two item here is, which is out of my control. That's right. Right? Absolutely out of your control. Yeah. So, control is basically the thing that is, I think, creating fear for that, uh, for a lot of these people, right? That okay, once I put something out there, once it's out in the world, there are so many different forces beyond my control that will play into this that maybe this isn't the right thing for me to do. Maybe, you know, I haven't thought through all of the different pathways and scenarios that I so that I can ultimately micro control every little piece of it. Um, and I think if you go down that path, you can literally dig a rabbit hole of trying to control every little piece of your business without ever launching anything, without ever putting anything out there. Sure. And there's another hidden danger in control, which is if I am trying to run a business and I want to control every little piece of it, mm -hmm. it will never become bigger than just me. Yeah. And yeah. every business that, you know, it... If you're growing a business that is just you, that's great. In one sense, you're an entrepreneur, but also you're kind of just a freelancer. Right. And I know we both started as freelancers, so no hate on the freelance game. I think that that is a great entryway to the world of entrepreneurship. Right. But I know that you and I both definitely had growing pains when it came to growing beyond ourselves. Yeah, yeah. A party of one is not scalable. Right. It's, it's linear scalability. And so, you have to be able to get past that point of ultimate control if you're going to launch something that is like a 60-day startup business that you can kind of let grow and step away from and, and watch it take on its own sort of entity. Absolutely. And most entrepreneurs I know, if they're really honest with themselves, they want to grow something that is bigger than just themselves. They want to grow a brand or an idea that is greater than just me. Yeah. Let's talk about the last one, which is probably related a little bit to the first two ideas in terms of why we do this, why we put these obstacles in front of ourselves, and that's ego. I think this is sort of a an all-encompassing term because Ego is what causes us to be afraid of other people's opinions or feedback. Ego is what causes us to want to control everything. And I think that there are a lot of people that get hung up here. Absolutely. I mean, especially if you're 
Let's say you're starting a business that you have some personal inspiration from, or mm -hmm. you've you've experienced a problem yourself, and because of that, you're making this product or starting this service. There's a lot of personal connectivity that comes along with doing that kind of business. And a lot of times when you're that attached to the business or the problem, the success or failure at the beginning of that business feels very personal, right? It's if this fails, it's a reflection of me. It's a reflection of my identity. It's a reflection of who I am. And so that means that I'm a failure, not necessarily like there was a different part of this business that hadn't gotten thought through. And that's the biggest thing there, right? Like, pieces of what you put out there are going to fail. Oh yeah. That's going to happen. And if you can separate yourself and your ego from that a little bit, it makes it easier to see when those might occur and also not feel like you're a horrible person <laughs> when those failures happen. So you can pick back up and keep moving with it. Yeah. The other thing that I have seen happen in people before is if they tie their ego too much to their business, it causes them to be overly cautious. Mm. Perhaps they try to do something that is too small. They don't want to take too many risks. Again, because of the failure, what people might think of me if I try to go too far and I don't make it. You know, if I go for that moonshot and it doesn't work. On the flip side, yeah. I think some people are afraid of doing something small because they don't want to be seen as unambitious. But sometimes, especially if you're running from sort of a lean startup methodology, you have to start small if you're going to bootstrap this thing. Right. You're not going to be able to start with the full-featured iPhone app that is translated into 60 different languages and all that. You might just want to start with a service. You might just want to start with a widget instead of a catalog of widgets. That's a great thought there, too, because us being here in Nashville, I, I think it's this weird mix because we you hear about all of the like venture-funded startups that pop out of like Silicon Valley. There's a little bit of like angel investing that goes on here. But I also think we're far enough separated from that to know that it's not really a reality here. Right. But people still think about it. So I think there's a lot of small business starters who are going, oh, here's the idea and here's the big picture of it. And I need to go out and find investment because that's what I've heard happens. And that's what my ego says, because this is a big idea where that's going to be a lot harder to do here. And also maybe your idea doesn't have to do that. Maybe you could start it very small and grow it to that without having to involve all of this extra complexity. Absolutely. And it could be something as simple as if you want to start a web design firm, hey, maybe just take on one project and do it yourself or hire it out. Just do one, dip your toe in, right. get the business started before you take on a lot of risk and try to just uh, you know walk before you run essentially. Yeah. That's great. The other thing that is related to ego that I think is a killer is ignoring feedback because you can't emotionally handle it. Customer feedback, when it is valuable, is some of the most valuable resources that you can have at yeah. an early stage. Yeah. And we all get affected by trolls on Facebook and YouTube and, and all that kind of stuff too. One thing that we try to preach as much as we can and do ourselves as well is to realize that like if someone is giving feedback that feels painful to you, there's a reason. And to just think through what that reasoning is. Maybe the reasoning is they need to attack someone or maybe the reasoning is there's something about the product or service that you need to like look at and reevaluate. And so if you can take on 
a more like the humble approach there that like all feedback is good feedback. I don't care who it's from or where it's coming from. Let me look at the data and understand if that person is in my demographic. And if so, think through where that feedback fits into how you can update or improve your product or service. Give it some context there yeah. instead of just internalizing it and making yourself feel like a horrible person. <laughs> Absolutely. I completely agree with that. So we've looked a little bit at why we do this. It's fear, it's control, it's ego. Now, what are some hallmarks of the person that might be trading into this land of failure to launch syndrome? What kind of things can we look for to say, hey, let's stop, take a second. What am I doing? So probably one of the biggest ones could be, and I, I suffer from this myself all the time, but doing some level of like over planning or making things so detailed in your plan that there's always another level to plan for. Whether that's like, well, I, I made, we made a mock-up of the website or we've uh, specced out the project, but I'm going to hire a copywriter to write copy, but then also I'm going to hire an editor to edit the copywriter's copy uh, or even just doing each of those little pieces yourself. There's always a deeper layer that you can go for like planning out specifics for your project. But at some point in time, you just need to like do it. My favorite thing on a lot of these, and Paul, I know I throw stuff your way like this too, is that I sometimes just like shoot us out a deadline or say like, hey, we're going to announce this to the public mm -hmm. and it's on this date. And then like, great. Hey, guess what? We have to back up our timeline from that date to figure out how much time we have to get this stuff done. And it forces us to not over plan. Right. Absolutely. I think another way that I certainly suffer from over planning in sort of like a focus on tactics. Hmm. So I know that when I've put together some businesses before, uh, when I was putting together my first e-commerce business, I know that I was focusing so hard on tactics. Oh, what is the best exact tool for digital file delivery? Yeah. What is the best exact thing? Let me spend dozens of hours on research into this when it's really kind of a low impact decision. And all I was doing was pushing out. I was kicking the can down the road yeah. for me to actually get out there and do the business. Right. Delaying the, the actual moment of potentially transacting something where you probably could have just gone with whatever the quickest thing was, totally. get some user feedback and be like, ah, okay, I'll do something different. Right. Because just researching web platforms, researching certain tactics surrounding your business, it's a low risk activity. You can't fail at it and you can sink infinite amount of hours <laughs> into it and fool yourself into thinking that you're being productive when really you are just deceiving yourself. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Now, that's not to say that planning is not something that needs to be done, but there's sort of a fine line there. And I think you make a good point of being able to understand what's the impact of the planning I'm doing here. Is this like the 80% or the 20%? Right. Uh, what piece of this am I creating and how far am I just diving myself into a hole? Absolutely. Another common thing that people do when they're starting to tread into this failure to launch syndrome is that they start overcomplicating things. This could be technology complications. Oh, I need to make sure that my website can do this and all the contacts get added to our CRM and everyone's getting tracked and cookied. And if it's not doing that, I can't launch. You know? Right, right. Which in the long run is 
awesome and amazing. But if you have zero customers, it doesn't matter. <laughs> right. Exactly. And I would also put into this category a uh, scope and feature creep. So we talk all the time about launching MVPs, and that's certainly what we talk about as being a 60-day startup. Let's define that out too. So an MVP stands for minimum viable product, right? Right. The, the very smallest amount of features in your product or your service that you can possibly put together that accomplishes the goal that solves the problem for the customer without having to add any of the crazy flourish or flash on top of it. That's right. That doesn't mean that you don't want to have flourish and flash at some point. That helps with sales. It helps with marketing. But if you can get to where you accomplish the goal and you solve the problem and that's the very basis of it, you're 80% there already. Absolutely. And new features and new complications should be informed by data, which you're not collecting if you don't have users and you don't have customers. So launch that MVP, get some people in there to tell them, hey, you know what? I really wish this had X feature Y. And then you could say, okay, I've had enough people tell me that, that actually I can make an informed decision about this. Let's add it. Absolutely. And that's hilariously. And like, unfortunately, that's something that we see a lot in the, like the web world or the mobile app world where people will just pour hundreds of thousands of dollars into developing something instead of developing an MVP because their dream is this giant overcomplicated thing that they then launch to an audience that wants something completely different because they didn't launch something small and test. Absolutely. Another very common pitfall is what I call shiny object syndrome. Mm. You and I both know about this. Yeah. And if you are a creative, brainstormy, sort of serial entrepreneur type, you're probably going to have to battle this. Businesses are really exciting and cool once you first think them up in your head and you're writing on your notepad, oh, it could do this and it could do this. It'll serve this kind of customer and it's different from these competitors because of ABC. And that's really cool and exciting. The not exciting part comes later when you're actually trying to launch that thing and you have to figure out things like distribution and all the kind of boring stuff that actually causes the thing to exist in the real world. Yeah. I think shiny object syndrome, if you find yourself doing this, a lot of times it has to do with things that are outside your own business too, right? Not just like the exciting things for the business versus the boring things. I find myself doing this with competitors all the time. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, oh, I saw them doing this tactic or I saw them talking about things in this way and maybe that's something we should be doing to where it starts coloring, you know, my strategy or my tactics for how we're moving and launching versus letting me just like drill into what I know we're doing and how we're doing it well and continue doing that while still being aware of the competition over there. Absolutely. So if you find yourself being one of those people that has... 5, 10, 20 half-launch projects, chances are pretty good that you're suffering from shiny object syndrome. Yeah. I remember I actually had a conversation online not too long ago. Someone was asking for a recommendation on an e-commerce platform. Yeah. And of course, I recommended Shopify. I think it's a great solution for many types of businesses, not all business. And someone came back and they said, well, Shopify only gives you one storefront per account. It's going to be too expensive for me. I have like 30 projects. And I was thinking, if you have 30 projects, (laughs) you don't have one successful project. Right. Right. Yeah. Maybe launch one project and scale it. Yeah. And then like move yourself out of it and move to the next one. I remember a similar story as... You know, I went to a workshop a while back with Russell Brunson of ClickFunnels. Yeah. And 
I know that a lot of people in that world, because they give you the ability to launch as many funnels as you want here, there, sure. whatever. And I know that something that he drilled into the attendees' heads many times was, you get to do one funnel, you can make your second funnel after you make a million dollars. Sure. Yeah. And I thought that that was good. You know, that might be a little bit of hyperbole, but what he's really saying is shiny object syndrome is real. Yeah. Commit to actually giving this a real shot. And if you put the goalpost of make a million dollars as your sort of mile marker, then you're actually going to give it a shot to get there. You might not get there, but at least you'll give it a real try. Right. And there's a lot that goes into being able to scale a single funnel or a single product and, and service into grossing that amount. Right. From my side too, I would even say like that, especially if you're setting that milestone and not trying to do it in 10 years, if you set it early enough, that gives you a real quick idea of the viability of it as well and sort of reduces your shiny object syndrome because hopefully you prove that this thing works or doesn't work and you can move on to whatever that shiny object is pretty easily. Move on to that second of 30 projects. Totally. The final thing, which is a red flag for failure to launch is what I'm going to call pivoting. Now, you can't see on our outline here, but pivot has quotes around it and I'm doing very large air quotes with my fingers. This is the sound of air quotes. <laughs> I, yeah, I tried to do them violently, but they didn't get picked up in the mic. Anyway, <laughs> pivoting in air quotes because actual pivots are well-informed decisions that have data behind them yeah. and actually have a path forward. Pivoting as just sort of a distraction tactic is no good at all. And we saw it happen a few times in our 60-day startup challenge with our founders. Yeah. I know that a few people were into week three, week four, week five, and they were saying, oh, I'm pivoting. Now I'm actually serving this entirely different customer base and my product is different and I'm writing a book now. I'm not doing a course anymore or I'm not making a product. I'm doing this other thing. And that's no good. That's really just shiny object syndrome in Silicon Valley clothing. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what it is. Yeah. And like you said, you know, the, an actual pivot when you have data, when you are informed by things that are happening with your business and customers, that can be a great thing for your business. But you can't really make a pivot if you haven't launched anything, if you haven't put anything out there yet, right? Because you don't have really any informed data to, to make that decision on outside of your own feeling. And so usually those air quotes pivots are based upon feelings. Absolutely. Are based upon one of the th three things we talked about beforehand, right? Fear, ego, you know, they're based upon those things where you're just like, ah, this is difficult. I'm going to make it easier. Here we yeah. go. And just to review these red flags, which is, you know, we talked about over planning, over complicating, scope and feature creep, shiny object syndrome, pivoting. All of these have one thing in common, which is the entrepreneur putting up arbitrary obstacles in front of themselves to delay launch. Yeah. Arbitrary obstacles, because real obstacles ex exist. And there's plenty of them. Yeah, you're going to face enough of them. Yeah. Don't invent any for yourself. Right, right. Do we need to get out of our own way so that we can actually move to that point of launching and getting real information? So 
that's the big question of the day, right? How do we as entrepreneurs stop ourselves once we can identify the red flags of failure to launch syndrome? How do we stop ourselves from falling into it? Yeah. Well, I know that one of the great tenets that 60 Day Startup is built on is launch first, iterate later. We talked about it before with the MVP. Yep. Basically, you need to launch your product. You need to launch your service and any assumptions you have about it should be informed by the data that you receive after launch. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? Maybe we'll get some hate from this and, and I invite it if it's <laughs> if it's there because there are lots of probably consultants out there that would tell you differently that would say like, oh, it's a danger to just put something out there in the world. Paul and I tend to operate from the idea that ideas are cheap. And execution is really the the mastery of everything there too. So from our standpoint, right, if you launch and it was a bad idea, you'll know quickly. Yeah. If you launch and it was a good idea, it should be good enough that you can continue to iterate and, and make it better. And that MVP as like incorrect or not full as it might have been was hopefully something that was good enough that you can keep moving with it. And on this subject, I actually have a funny story around this idea. So a dear friend of mine from high school is actually a really, really great designer, mm. has a series of successful books and products out there. And he wrote some blog a while back because he goes and does all these workshops and conferences at these, you know, big Fortune 500 companies. Yeah. And he wrote some blog about how basically an undeveloped idea is dangerous and the story that he talked about was that he pitched out this workshop shop idea with just a title yeah. to some different companies that was totally undeveloped. And Adobe actually called him up and said, cool, we want you to come do this. Come by like next month and give this talk. <laughs> and the point of his blog was that, hey, it was stressful. And basically, because I hadn't developed this idea, I had to give this talk. But the funny thing was, is it turned out really well. Yeah. He was able to launch quickly yeah. and get in front of Adobe. Maybe if he had waited, if he had done all these things, overdeveloped it, it might not have been the right fit for them. Might not have been the right moment either. Like exactly. he threw it out in the world and the opportunity struck and went, oh, okay, looks like that idea resonates. So I'll go and put some time to it. So the funny thing was that the point that he was trying to make, I felt like he actually made the other point. Which is, <laughs> uh, you know, so he, title. Yeah, launch with an MVP and do the work later. Uh, so know. maybe the title should be ideas can be dangerous for your success. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So first way to stop, launch first, iterate later. Something that I think is good, especially when it comes to battling ego and fear, is to practice discomfort. Yeah, and this is a giant one that I think starting out as an entrepreneur, I was aware that I needed to do this. But then it's also kind of become such a part of my day-to-day -day life now that I think I often forget that new entrepreneurs might not have gone through this. Yeah, Practicing discomfort is so good for your life in general. Just like putting yourself into situations, whether it's like social or financially or that kind of thing, where maybe you understand the risk that you're putting yourself into. So it's not like so incredibly discomforting, but it's a place that you're not used to. Yeah. And basically when you practice discomfort, often I feel like where people are most uncomfortable is what other people think of them, yeah. right? So a couple of things that I've heard other 
sort of bloggers and different podcasters talk about is some really funny tactics. So like someone was talking about, oh, just in line at the coffee shop, you're at Starbucks, just lay down on the ground and just like <laughs> stay there and see what happens. If someone comes up to you and, hey, sir, are you okay? Oh yeah, no, I'm cool. Yeah. Uh, okay. So the discomfort here is you're doing something socially out of the norm, right? Right, right? And there are probably some people who are strangers to you who don't really have any effect on your life who are looking at you and saying, huh, that guy's weird. And what? Yeah. Nothing. Like nothing happened. Yeah. You know, I mean, hey, you might make a couple of people laugh. That's actually a net positive as far as I'm concerned. Right, right. And you're going to have to do things that are uncomfortable all the time. Mm -hmm. in business, especially, you know, if, if it's a solopreneur type of thing, maybe a little bit less, although the uncomfortability is going to be the fact that you're making all the decisions. Mm -hmm. um, but if you ever get staff, right, management is not a comfortable place to be no, in when not. you're managing people, you know, making decisions about sales and marketing. There's so many places that you're going to find yourself having to make uncomfortable decisions. And mm -hmm. I think you're absolutely right. The sooner you get used to that feeling and being able to sort of like move on a dime with it, the better you're going to be, you know, continually. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about fear. How do you get over a lot of these big looming fears that present themselves in the life of an entrepreneur? Sure. One thing that has worked for me for years that I like doing is really, you mentioned this too before, fear setting, right? Mm -hmm. Thinking about what the worst case scenario of something that I'm, that I'm fearful of might be. Because a lot of times fears occur because these ideas get overblown beyond what actual, like the, a realistic outcome might be, you know? So if we're talking about my fear from a, a personal standpoint, right? Oh my gosh, I'm going to fail and everyone's going to hate me or, or this is going to affect me personally. Go back to your Starbucks test and scenario there. Like I'm doing something weird what's actually the worst case scenario here? Three people who I don't know might think I'm a weirdo. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I can handle that. Or from like a financial standpoint, right? I'm going to, you know, invest some money into this and I might not return any of it. Well, if you set a limit to how much money you're going to invest into it, and then you think about the worst case scenario, if you lose that money, what's that? Right. You know, I remember that we actually did this at the beginning of 60 Day when we did the show sure. and launched the business. I remember we sat down and we said, okay, editing and shooting the show costs this amount of money. Right. So for 10 episodes, that's this much. And launching the business costs this much. If we spectacularly failed in every sense of the word, we could lose this many thousands of dollars potentially. Right. And maybe some people out there think, oh, those guys didn't even do anything. But actually, we I don't even think we ever mentioned that because we've been through this process enough now that you kind of don't really care right. what, what some armchair quarterback on the internet thinks right. about your business. You the, know, like the, the amount of care we have about trolling was was very minimal. It yeah. was more so like, are we okay with losing this amount of money? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. But that was a calculated mm -hmm. fear that we put out there and just said, okay, we've defined what that amount might be. We can come up with ways to maybe prevent those things from happening. And then like worst case scenario, if they do happen, how do we come back from it if we need to? Absolutely. And I feel like with fear setting, if you have those couple of things defined out, there's kind of no, no downside. 
Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Once you actually define what your downside is and relate it to your upside, you know, in the case of six day and most businesses, the upside is massively larger than the potential worst case downside. Right. That's what make on, makes entrepreneurship so cool. Right. And a lot of scenarios too, especially if you're if you follow along with kind of how we suggest doing stuff in the 60-day mindset, if you get up there fast, you try to do it as an MVP and not with a lot of money, a lot of times that worst case scenario is I will be at the exact same place I was 60 days ago. Totally. Right? Right. Like, oh, so nothing. <laughs> Nothing wrong. Exactly. Happen. And that, again, sort of underlines the importance of doing stuff quickly. Because if you spend a year, two years, five years working on some random business, then you really have lost a lot. I mean, you know, time is a non-renewable resource that we all have. We're all running out of it. And so that's a very real risk. So make sure that at least you limit your exposure to that by launching quickly, iterating, finding out what works with data, and moving on to the next thing if it doesn't work. The other thing that uh, is related to fear setting that I think is important to note is that it doesn't always work that you do the fear setting and you say, ah, that's not so bad, I'll move on. Sometimes you do the fear setting and you realize that, oh, the worst thing that could happen is that I've actually taken on too much here in this business. Maybe with this business is going to cost six figures of, of a loan to take out or it's going to cost X amount of money or perhaps there's other sort of risk factors at play yeah. that should make you go, hey, listen, if I fail at this, I'm down for the count and no one's getting back up on the horse. Yeah. Then maybe that's an indicator I should bring it back. Is there any sort of smaller way that I can launch where I can stay in the game if something goes awry? Exactly. That's the great. That's a great sign that that is probably not an MVP. Right. <laughs> right? Absolutely. That you you've gone a little bit too big in the ideology, and that you should probably look and see what the first step of that is as your launching point, instead of like, oh man, this thing that's going to put me in the hole for years. For sure. Yeah. So if we're able to go and, and do a couple of these things, right? Launch first, iterate later, later, practice discomfort, maybe do some level of fear setting. There still might be some people that are struggling to at least take that last step. And I, you know, I can agree going through a couple of these, even if you know the worst case scenario, scenario and you're sitting there going, yeah, okay, great. I can do this. Sometimes life just gets in the way. Right. And you got your job and your kid and your wife or, you know, whatever that, that you have to deal with on a day to day basis because it's life. How do you make that next step just to make sure that you keep yourself accountable? Absolutely. Well, I think that there are some actual tactics that you can use to get over some of these things that are holding you back. Yeah. I think that a big one that you mentioned earlier is make a public commitment. You know, again, this isn't a make or break thing. No one's going to hold your feet to the fire if you don't make it. But this is a way of A, defining what your terms are. Mm -hmm. B, you're increasing your level of risk in terms of people will think something of me if I don't make this launch date. Right. You know, which I think is, is fair. Yeah. And that is sort of built in accountability. So go out there and say, you know, it's certainly if you're launching with the 60-day mindset, start the program and you say, hey, 
60 days from now, I'm going to have a business and put out a tweet, put out a Facebook update or an Instagram post. Right. I'm going to have a business in 60 days so that in 60 days, all your friends and family come back and say, hey, where's this thing? What'd you launch? I want to check it out. Right. You know, right. Let that pressure push you forward. Absolutely. Another kind of great way to do this might be to like get an accountability partner. Yeah. Right. Uh, have someone that's maybe you have a friend who wants to launch a business too. And maybe you guys can like run through that kind of thing together at the same time. That's one thing that I know as an entrepreneur has been something I've wanted for so long, right? And that's one of the re- biggest reasons probably you and I partnered up. Yeah. Being a solopreneur is a difficult, <laughs> like very lonely, sitting on top of a high hill type of- uh, Low hill. <laughs> low hill type of uh, position to be in. But if you have, whether it's a business partner or even just an accountability partner who's another entrepreneur that can help you out and make sure that like you're pushing ideas back and forth, that's a big, big thing. It's like a, it's like a twelve-step program. Absolutely, from that standpoint. You know? Absolutely, it is. And you know, raise some stakes with your partner. Sometimes, just hey, man, friend to friend accountability isn't enough. Maybe I would say, hey, listen, I set a launch date for June first for yeah. my business, and I am committing to take you out to Morton Steakhouse right. <laughs> if if I don't do it. But if I do do it, you're taking me out. You yeah, know, yeah. Like, like get a bet with someone, make it fun. Again, increase your level of pressure a little bit, increase your risk, give yourself some incentive. Because if you don't, there are going to be times where it gets hard and you need some outside force to push you forward, whether that's a partner in business, an accountability partner, a yeah. mentor, that stuff becomes invaluable when you hit those troughs of sorrow, when you hit those, <laughs> those actual obstacle points, then that becomes super important. Yeah. Another tactic that might help out, and I like this one a lot, is the idea of trying to just like to actually almost purposefully make a meaningless mistake to sort of like test the waters. Mm-hmm. I can relate to this one really, really well. I did this uh, personally because when I was starting off to launch 12 South as a business, I didn't know if I was in the right mindset to be a boss, mm-hmm. right? To yeah. to like have employees, to, ha- to run an agency where I could manage other people because I was really like a designer marketing person myself working off of a W-2 and had never really managed a bunch of people before. I didn't want to do the big idea thing where you just go out and hire a bunch of people and raise a lot of money. And so I slowly started grabbing like virtual assistants or people off of Upwork or or little contractor folks where I could send out small jobs, give them instructions. If my instructions were bad, learn that by paying small amounts of money and having that project like inflate to larger things than it needed to be instead of like putting someone on salary and realizing, oh my gosh, I have no idea what I'm doing trying to manage people. Yeah. And so I I made a lot of small, meaningless mistakes in managing people that way. They didn't cost me a lot of time or money. Right. Exactly. I know that something that we've talked about before in our name storm ideology is we talk about testing names for your product and taking people to, to landing pages. Now, sometimes you don't have time to spin up a landing page. And I would say, fine, just take them to a random web page that doesn't exist for, for, for them. <laughs> now, someone who maybe is, you know, an early entrepreneur would say, oh, gosh, but that would be so embarrassing. People are going to comment on the ad or wherever. Ah, your web page doesn't work and I'm going to look like a fool. 
But at the same time, you got the data you wanted. And if some person on Facebook thinks you're a fool, by the way, there's what, like two and a half billion people on Facebook? (laughs) Well, that's okay. That's an acceptable loss in my opinion. Something else I saw someone do, I was watching a YouTube series a while back. And these are these marketing guys. They're kind of a little bit like, just like, they're characters, okay? Yeah, yeah. And they did this ending card on their video where it said, subscribe in huge block letters. Oh, like, please subscribe to yeah, us. Yeah, like, please subscribe with no S. Yeah. And at first I thought, I was like, ah, those idiots, they missed the S and subscribe. Yeah. And then I was like, I wonder if they did that on purpose. Yeah. <laughs> because now I'm actually paying attention. Right. I'm thinking about this hilarious thing. I bet there's people that are engaging on this post because of it. And they know that the loss of face, any sort of embarrassment that might happen from that mistake that may have been intentional is well worth the reward of increased engagement or increased attention or whatever. Even if that meaningless edit mistake got you four comments because of it, like that's starting a conversation. Totally. You know, and that's a place for you to start that conversation yeah. versus like putting up something beautiful that has absolutely no engagement. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. So I guess make a meaningless mistake so you can really get a handle on the actual risk. Usually there's not much, especially when it comes to people's opinions. That is almost zero risk. Yeah. So just as a recap, let's go over what we talked about. So we're talking about the failure to launch syndrome. You're going to deal with it if you're an entrepreneur. Chances are pretty darn good. We talked about why we do it. That's fear, control, ego, all that stuff that lives inside us that tells us problems are bigger than they actually are. Absolutely. And then what to look for, you know, if you feel like you might be diving into that pool a little bit, some red flags there are going to be over planning, maybe overcomplicating things as you're kind of building structure in your business, seeing some scope or feature creep or doing the good old crow thing, playing shiny object syndrome, right? Totally. Or the other favorite here and big air quotes, pivoting. Right. Right. Absolutely. And then finally finishing up and most importantly, how to stop doing this and get to launch. We're going to launch first, iterate later. We're going to use data to make decisions, not assumptions. We are going to practice discomfort. We're going to make that very important realization that people's opinions of us are not really that important. (laughs) And we're going to do some fear setting. We're going to really define our downside so we can accurately see how big our upside is in proportion to it. So that's it. We're going to get over this huge lumbering obstacle of failure to launch syndrome. While we're at it, I know that we talked about accountability. We talked about having people in your corner. So not everyone is in a position to be in a community of entrepreneurs wherever they live. Um, I know that certainly it's probably easier to find in cities like you know, Silicon Valley and, you know, certainly if you're somewhere like New York or even Nashville or Austin to a certain extent, but we want to make sure everyone has those resources. So we have a community on 60daystartup.com. You can check it out from the show notes as well. We have a Facebook group where you can engage with people who are keeping each other accountable and encouraging each other. Yeah. And you know what, go ahead. And if you're listening to the show, let us know what, you know, self-imposed obstacles might be holding you back from starting your business. So you can hit us up on Facebook or Twitter. Just tell us, you know, 
Are you seeing any of these, you know, red flags in your own sort of makeup or your own business? And if so, what are they? Absolutely. And until next time, we will see you soon. (laughs) It's Michael and Paul with 60 Days Startup. Catch you guys later.